Did you know that you can help us produce new seasons of our podcasts and audio series? At Studio Chenta, we just launched a new series of audiobooks based on our podcasts, and they're currently for sale. There are many titles available from romantic comedy to horror, true crime, communication and linguistics, food and lifestyle, migration stories, and much, much more. Available in Spanish, English, Italian, and French. Check out our full catalog at ochentestudio.com slash audiobooks. And find the titles on apps like Libro.fm, Apple Books, Google Play, Storytel, BookBeat, and on your favorite audiobook app. Thank you so much for supporting our work. Hey everyone, welcome to our second live listening session for season three of How Not to Travel. I'm Luis, Kiona's co-host for this season of the show. As you know, in these episodes, we're exploring the journeys of some of the world's most fascinating foods. And for each episode we release, we're hosting live listening sessions with expert content creators from around the world to give us more insight into the subject at hand. For this session, of course, we listen to our episode about Tabasco sauce with chef Nini Nguyen. She's a New Orleans-based chef, and for our conversation, we decided to use Tabasco as a jumping-off point to talk about the roles that different hot sauces play in New Orleans cooking traditions, as well as getting into Chef Nguyen's favorite subject, the rich Vietnamese influence in Louisiana's cuisine, food production, and culture. She's also working on a Vietnamese-American cookbook, which we'll hear more about near the end of our conversation. This episode is a discussion we held after listening to our main episode about Tabasco sauce, so if you haven't already, Please go listen to that one before making your way to this one. And now, without further ado, let's dive straight into the chat. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our second live listening session for the Tabasco episode. Today, we have celebrity chef Nini Nguyen. She is Vietnamese from New Orleans, and I have never talked to a top chef before. Um, she was a top contender on the show Top Chef, Bravo's Top Chef, and I'm so, so excited to have her. Um, Nini, if you would like to introduce yourself and any cool things that you're doing right now. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Nini Nguyen, and I have like a multitude of things that I'm always like dipping my hands in. But um, but my main thing right now is working on a cookbook. It's called Duck Viet. It's a Vietnamese cookbook that really um, shows the perspective of someone who grew up in the Gulf Coast that's Vietnamese. Amazing, which is so fitting for this episode because Tabasco sauce I recently found out comes from a lot of different places. So in our podcast, we travel from Ireland all the way to New Orleans. And Nini was highly requested to be on the show um, as like a New Orleans chef. So I'm excited for her to hear it. And we'll see what she has to say at the end. Before we listen to the episode, Nini, I'd like to hear um, what's your immediate thoughts on uh, or opinion of Tabasco sauce? What is your experience with it? I think Tabasco is one of the most iconic hot sauces in America. It's dated. It's like old school. When I think of Tabasco sauce, I think of eating it with oysters, with lemon. And I think that is um, extremely classic. In Louisiana, we have so many different hot sauces, which is really cool because like, you know, everyone has their the one that they do and I uh, or use all the time. But I I just think it's it's so iconic. You know, if you're from Louisiana, you should go to Avery Island 
and um, and check it out. And there's so much history. And though I don't use it all the time, there's there's like certain applications that I use it for. Um, and I don't know. I think it's really cool. And I think it's cool that it comes from a place that I'm from. Um, I thought that was really interesting. A lot of the facts I didn't know. I didn't know that they had operas. That was really weird. Me either. Uh, Yeah, we absolutely loved that. So we had to (laughs) include it. I'm like, whose marketing strategy was that? Um, But I think it's really cool. I think it's, um, it is amazing to see Tabasco all over the world at such like a long time ago where I feel like, you know, exporting is not as easily or like readily available. So like, like, wow, like how did this brand become so big across the world? I really want to know the truth of the origin, but I think that, um, I think it's really cool. And whatever they've done, it's like, it worked. What do you think? What do you think is like the special sauce or the special thing about Tabasco that makes it so big? Do you feel like it's like a strategic marketing thing, like operas and influencer marketing probably now? <laughs> or do you think it's generally the taste? Um, I think it's the taste. Operas, the original influencers. Um, <laughs> but no, I think it's the taste. I think that maybe at that time there was nothing like it. And because like... I feel like because New Orleans is a port city, it's like easy to get it everywhere. Like everything came in here and everything left from here. And so I think it's like a perfect timing and being able to kind of translate to like the mass public, how to use it is I think key whenever they did like the sandwiches or whatever. It's like, because there's one thing to have like a, a like exotic ingredient, exotic at the time, at least. Um, I think it's, another to like show people how to use it. And I think um, they did a really good job at that. Yeah, that's true. Um, I just was reading about how like Tabasco is now being advertised as a salad dressing and they're like hiring influencers to like showcase like Tabasco sauce as a salad dressing. So it's exactly that. I feel like that's how people like how they've been getting it out there is like showing people what (laughs) foods to use it on. What does it taste good? What is it used for? I wanted to ask you a question because I'm Korean and Luis is Mexican. So we both come from hot sauce, hot food background. My favorite hot sauce is actually Vietnamese. So I'm wondering what is your favorite hot sauce? Is Tabasco included in that? Um, And in general, like, what do you feel like hot sauce adds like the culinary space? So I think this is a great question. Like, you know, I love sriracha. I'm Vietnamese. So like, that's like a very like given as something I ate uh, growing up, but I also ate a lot of Tabasco. I ate a lot of crystal hot sauce. So like Louisiana style hot sauce, at least for Louisiana cooking is something that is a key ingredient to the cooking. So one thing that Louisiana hot sauce gives is acidity. So a lot of times our food is very rich. It's very like um, it starts with the roux, which can can have a good bit of fat in it. So to cut that fat, everything gets finished with either hot sauce or lemon juice. So lemon juice, if you don't want it to be very spicy, hot sauce, if you do want the additional spice. And I think that um, it's just so ingrained in our cooking. So I really like like Louisiana hot sauce. I like crystal hot sauce and I like Tabasco. Those are my two, three top like the Louisiana hot sauces, but they all play a role in different cooking. Like you wouldn't 
I guess you could kind of put sriracha on everything. That's what they say. But um, but um, if I had to pick a favorite hot sauce, it's kind of basic of me to say, but it's sriracha. Like I think <clears throat> sriracha is like kind of sweet, spicy, and savory. Um, and it it adds a lot of flavor without a lot of heat. Mm-hmm. in my opinion, compared to a lot of other hot sauces. Like Tabasco is like very high acid, like raw vinegar, high spice. Whereas like Cristo is like more mild in the vinegar, like raw vinegar taste, but more pepper flavor. So it's mm-hmm. like, they're all different ingredients. Yeah, I feel like they're two different palettes. Yeah. Um, my favorite hot sauce is actually like the Vietnamese cock sauce, or that's what I call it. I don't know yeah. what's that called but I put that on all my ramen like everything my fried chicken (laughs) um but it's so good um I do have another question do you feel like Tabasco is very New Orleans I do think that Tabasco is very New Orleans like I can see like in the early like you know 1920s seeing oyster bars and it's like the classic like oyster ballers uh oysters raw oysters on the half shell with a bottle of Tabasco I think that People, they've done a good job at marketing to like not make it associated with just New Orleans. And I think it is more global because of that. I think that, um, I think it's very interesting because like when you think of like Cafe du Monde coffee, it's a New Orleans style coffee. You could see it like there's like, um, there's like a Cafe du Monde in Japan. You know, you could find that coffee in Paris, like at Vietnamese restaurants. It's mostly like Vietnamese restaurants. There's like a whole like connection so to see it like around the world, not being known as like a New Orleans style or Louisiana style hot sauce is uh, very interesting. And I wonder if that is an attribute to its success. Yeah, it's actually something that I was very curious about. And we kind of mentioned it at the end in that a lot of people, I think a lot of people outside of Mexico and the U.S., think it's Mexican because of the name and because they associate something with a spicy flavor to Mexico, right? So I know mm-hmm. that a lot of people around the world, as we mentioned in the show, use use it for their taco night or use it for like to season their Mexican food, which I mean, I guess there are some people who are more purist and like saying like, that's not real Mexican food or real Mexican sauce or whatever. But I mean, I, I don't really, you know, a- agree with that. Like, I think it's cool when, you know, people experiment with different things with what they have and what they know. And I think that's great. But at the same time, it's interesting to think how it is in fact very different, right? And so I love what you said about the acidity of the sauce. And I wanted to like go back a little bit to that because Mexican salsas actually taste very different uh, to, to Tabasco and to other Louisiana hot sauces and to sriracha for that matter, right? Because of the, the, the acidity kind of comes from, from other sources rather than from vinegar, which is a, a very, and at least in my experience, like a, not a very Mexican flavor to have like that vinegary hot sauce. It's I like it, but it's just very different. Yeah, for sure. I I don't always like Tabasco with everything because of the big vinegar, because it's something that like I didn't grow up eating a lot of. But whenever you want that punch of like acidity, my mouth is watering just like thinking about <laughs> the acidity of Tabasco. But it has a time and place. And I think that with a lot of food, especially when you think of like dips and casseroles, like a lot of those dishes lacked acid and acid really helps bring out flavor, just like salt. Like if you have an ingredient and you give it salt and some kind of acid, it makes it pop. And so 
it only makes sense that people start loving this condiment. I love this conversation because now I'm just thinking of Tabasco as like vinegar with like some spice on it. Um, I find so Cubans, I I'm like six months in Cuba out of the year and Cubans hate hot sauce. I hate anything hot. They don't even like pepper, but I will find Tabasco in Cuba. And like Cuba has been suffering under like us blockade for like 60 years and like nothing gets in the country. There's barely any food, but like you will definitely find Tabasco at restaurants, which I think is hilarious. Cause somebody like from Miami or somebody's like bringing in their purse and like, you know, displaying it. But I realized that now that you said that, I think that they like Tabasco so much because it's just vinegar. It's like not really hot sauce. It's like vinegar. And now it makes sense why Tabasco would advertise it as salad dressing because like vinegar goes on salads. So I was like, oh my gosh, this is basically just a vinegar sauce. That's like kind of spicy. I have a question. Do you have any special memories about Tabasco sauce? For me, like one of my favorite snacks, and it's like so Louisiana as a kid, was to take dried shrimp because we, you know, there's a huge fishing community here and they're usually Vietnamese and they dry shrimp. So I would get dried shrimp and rehydrate it with Tabasco. And because it didn't have enough acid, I don't know why, I would do lemon, Tabasco, and a little bit of sugar to balance the sweet, the sour. And then the salty from the fish and the salty from the um, the Tabasco. And it was like my favorite snack. I would like hydrate, rehydrate. Sure, this sounds disgusting. But I promise you, it's like the punchiest. Like I loved pickles as a kid. So think of it as like almost like a dried pickle shrimp that was really spicy. And like, I could not get enough of that. That's my weird no, I, I don't oh. think it sounds disgusting at all. I, no. I love that. I know. <laughs> I want to try it now. I also wanted to go back to something earlier in the conversation uh, when you talked about New Orleans being a, a port city, of course, and that being key to the success, especially the early success of of Tabasco and how it got to be so global before the 20th century even, right? And so in, in the whole conversation, it never really occurred to us uh, that that, was, that could be the case, but, but now it seems so obvious, right? And I, I wonder if there is something more to say about uh, New Orleans culture in general as being so well known, obviously being very regional, being very local uh, to the city, but also at the same time being very well known uh, globally, just, you know, the, the New Orleans jazz scene. And, and uh, now, now I'm thinking about how it being a port city probably contributed very much to it being so well known outside of the city, right? Absolutely. I think that you know, there's so many influences here from different groups of people. And I think that we have the most like unique regional cuisine in the country. And it's amazing how like, there's so much history here, how food has come about cocktails, even like a lot of cocktails have been created in New Orleans. And it's because like all of everyone wanted whiskey, but then the, then we got rum from the like Caribbean. And it's like, all of this comes in and then people come, they get off their boats, they do the thing and then they leave and they go home and they talk about it. And so I think it is the key to why people know it so much. And it's because it is people come and people go and people love it here and they stay. 
And it's just so different because of all the different influences. They're like, what is this place? Like there's something familiar for the people who come in, but then something different for them to take away. And so I think that, um, I think that is a big like attribute for sure. Yeah. And I'm thinking like even the the city itself is just so very different, right? I, I mean, of course there's obviously the the French history and the Spanish history as well. And obviously all the influ- influences with, with the Caribbean countries, with Mexico and with uh, Asian populations as well. Right. It's just become such a, such a rich uh, mix of, of, of history and culture that's obviously present in the cuisine as well as in everything else. Right. Like uh, I know I've, I've been to New Orleans once and I absolutely loved it. And what something that I really liked was how they have this central square with the cathedral, right. If I'm not mistaken. And so Uh it's, it's very different from so many other U S cities in that sense. Right. Like that space just feels very, for example, for me as a Mexican, I feel very much, I felt very much at home there uh, because all, all Mexican cities, like even Mexico City, from all from the largest one to the smallest town, have like a central town square where the church is, right? And so that felt very, very familiar to me, you know, yeah. and and very different from all the other U.S. cities that I've been to. I think, um, well, the Spain Spanish were here, and like the French are here, and there's like Canal Street is the neutral ground, so there's a like square and like both sides technically with a huge cathedral. Um, but there's so many churches here. And I think um, and that same same for Vietnam, like there's always a square with a church that like everything else surrounds itself. And the architecture is very similar. And I think that's why like Vietnamese people really gravitated towards New Orleans in particular in the 70s when they came over, because there was so much. The climate was the same. The French were here. So like French colonialism in Vietnam. So that was very familiar. A lot of Vietnamese people did speak French, so then they felt like they could speak French here. And the industry, and just like culturally, everything is just a little bit more laid back, kind of like Vietnam. So I maybe have a more personal question. As a Asian American, I have been working on a book on Asian American history for children because I feel like we've been wiped out pretty much um, everywhere. And there's a lot of, you know, white history, black history, even though we can always have more, but there's maybe an even Latino history, but there's not really any Asian American history anywhere. And every time I talk to somebody about food, I'm like, you know, that's Asian, right? Like your mango is from Asia, your, you know, whatever is like most, I can trace most things back to Asia. Um, And so when I tell them that, they're like, oh my God, I had no idea. I wanted to ask like what, um, and in the process of writing my book, um, I learned that the first Asian American settlement and was actually in New Orleans and it was in St. Malo, Louisiana, it was the Filipinos. Um, and then I know there's like a huge wave of Vietnamese that came in and really like, um, had like huge solidarity with the black community in New Orleans. Um, I'm interested to hear, and probably cause I don't want, I don't know. And I would like to know what impact have Vietnamese or even like Asian in general had on the food scene in New Orleans or just on the scene in general in New Orleans. This is my favorite topic to talk about because this is all I really talk about. <laughs> I think most of America doesn't know that like people like that look like me exist here and like live here and are make up the fabric of the like culinary world here. Um, I think it all starts when Vietnamese people came here in the 70s. And Vietnam is a very coastal country. So like a lot of the work that the men knew how to do was to fish. 
And so Vietnamese people, even if they didn't end up in New Orleans initially, found their way, communicated somehow, some way. I don't know. I'm very impressed with my grandparents to get together here and um, and started fishing. And there was a lot of pushback. There was a lot of racism. I remember like the KKK was like very prominent trying to scare Vietnamese people out of this industry, saying they're stealing our jobs because Vietnamese people take up like 60% of the fishing industry here in the Gulf. But I think it's very important. Not only have like has Vietnamese people have made an impact in just like Louisiana itself, like the Gulf seafood that you get in America has most likely been in the hands of a Vietnamese person. I think that is very powerful. And I think that uh, it goes so unrecognized. But I remember my family when they came and like in the 80s and 90s, um, started to get businesses or work. And I remember my aunt learning, getting her first, like we call corner stores, which is what are like equivalent to like bodegas, but they always sell hot food. So they would sell po' boys. And um, just like the town square where everything's based by the church, like in my community where I grew up in New Orleans East, most of the Vietnamese people came through the Catholic church. And so there was a church where we all kind of congregated and it wasn't only just for like religious reasons. It was like survival. I remember like my aunts and uncles, like everybody coming together. And it's like, what did we learn? Like, how did you make money? Like, how did you open the store? You know, oh, we learned how to make this type of food that the people here like to eat. So then, you know, from going from the seafood industry, like they would fish, they would get the stuff, they would get crawfish, whatever. And then they would boil it and they learn how to cook Creole food because in New Orleans is more Creole. And like when you go to Lafayette, it's more Cajun. And so like Vietnamese people really learned how to cook the food of Louisiana because that's the people that they were serving. And, and that was the way they could survive. They were they assimilated in that way. And I think that for a really long time, Vietnamese people didn't change the way that, you know, people ate. Like we didn't like, throw lemongrass and butter and all this stuff into our like crawfish until we left. So like when you see like the Cajun food, it really, it really started in Texas when Vietnamese, Louisiana Vietnamese people like left after Katrina and they really built their lives there. But influence is a two-way street and um, growing up and becoming like a young chef here, I saw so many New Orleans restaurants where there wasn't a Vietnamese chef inspired by pho, by by me, and uh, by just like Vietnamese dishes using Vietnamese herbs. And this is something I still encourage all of my non-Vietnamese chef friends to do because we have farmers in the back in like New Orleans East that like grow uh, Vietnamese farmers that grow um, produce and I want them to continue to grow the produce that I grew up eating and so in order to do that I need more people to buy it and so that's kind of my initiative and so now I feel like uh, there's so many things that are connected uh, between Vietnamese food and like New Orleans food like we have our version of a beignet the coffee that Vietnamese drink Vietnamese people drink is Cafe Du Monde. You go anywhere in the country and like they're going to serve Cafe Du Monde coffee with their sweet condensed milk on ice. The bread, our Bangui bread is so similar to the bread you eat po' boys with here. And it's because it's like French influence, but we're in a hot tropical place. The bread's going to rise a lot faster. It's going to be a lot crustier. And so I think that there's so many similarities and um, 
influences that have both gone like both ways that it's it's getting to about like the 50 year point where Vietnamese people have like settled here and we're really starting to see people recognizing that like oh like there is an influence and I think it all just takes time to be honest and I think that um for a long time Vietnamese people want to be wanted to be very respectful of this very this cuisine that is very I think very near and dear to a Louisiana person like whenever I made jambalaya on the internet, like people were like, no, like they could not fathom that like a person like me could teach someone how to make jambalaya and the amount of like backlash that I got to be like, she needs to go to South Louisiana and let someone teach her. And I'm like, honey, I'm from there. <laughs> but it's, I think it's very interesting. And I think that, um, I think it's also very beautiful. And I, I can't wait for people to learn more about this. They like, tried to creole explain you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, honey, I'm from here and I do it better. Yeah. So I also feel like, like, for example, uh, Korean fried chicken was like, um, came over during World War II and the black soldiers brought it over and taught Koreans how to do it. But now I'm like, okay, Korean fried chicken is like so thin and crispy. It's just like, we just do it better. I don't know what to tell you. So it just sounded like the Vietnamese, like they just do everything better, crispier, lighter. And I don't know, it, it was just so interesting. And I love the fact that you said that probably every single fish that comes out of the Gulf is probably touched by a Vietnamese person because I feel like people forget about laborers. And I'm like, yeah, you know, like we're out here like mm-hmm. every day to get your food to you and like you don't even acknowledge that like we exist yeah so I appreciate that you said that and like the farmers also like people don't understand like the whole farming history with like Asian farmers and there's still like so many refugee farmers like Burmese um even like the Japanese who all got their farms taken away during World War II yeah. as well um so I'm so so glad that you mentioned that I was like hoping I was like I hope she says all the things and you did so I love um that everybody's getting their Asian education <laughs> today <laughs> Yeah, I just love that. I I learned so much as well. So thank you for sharing all of that. That was great. Of course, I'm happy to share. I will talk anyone's head off about this topic, to be (laughs) honest. Like, I feel like it's my mission to let, to make space for this, because I think it's very important that people recognize the work that's been done or like um, the good that happens and how food is always evolving and how we should be open to that, like in the most respectful way, because there's a line. You you don't want to do something that's offensive to someone's cuisine because it's so important to them. But I think that there's also room for creativity and to change and to embrace it. And because life would be so boring if I had to cook the same thing all the time. And I think it's great because I get to challenge my chef friends to use ingredients um, that I only know how to use in a certain context because that's what I've always seen it with. But to see it applied in a different way is, um, I think, just as satisfying to expose people to do new things. I hope that you put all this history and stuff in your new cookbook coming out. I am. <laughs> it's a base of that. So my book, just to kind of briefly talk about it, it's it's really for the Vietnamese American person when teaching virtual cooking classes during the pandemic, I taught a lot of Vietnamese dishes and I realized I was like, no Vietnamese person is going to pay to like come and teach, like learn from me. 
so many Vietnamese people did. And I was so touched by them because they were like, you know, whether they didn't have their parents anymore or they had a language barrier or their parents just refused to teach them how to cook. They just wanted to connect with their heritage. And so I really felt like it was important that I made a book that was solely for the Vietnamese person, like using the ingredients that your mom uses, using MSG, like not whitewashing it and like actually putting the actual like names of the dishes in Vietnamese so that that they can learn. Um, And so that's like my whole movement. Also, my mom was a manicurist, like Vietnamese people have also been in the nail industry. So it's like seafood industry and nail industry is like what my family has really um, honed in on like a lot of Vietnamese families here in America. And so it's like a celebration of Vietnamese culture. So we're going to see your nails in the cookbooks is what you're saying. Yeah. Lots of nails, lots of nail art highlighting like Vietnamese nail texts and a lot of food. A very special thanks to chef Nini Nguyen for this episode. It was a truly amazing conversation, and we learned so much about sauces, New Orleans cuisine, and the Vietnamese roots in Louisiana. If you'd like to check out more of her content, follow her on all social media platforms at Chef Nini Nguyen. And stay tuned for our next episodes. We have one coming up for the bread lovers in our audience. It's about the surprisingly military history behind France's most popular pastry. So please check our social media for updates on how to join us. How Not to Travel is produced by Studio Ochenta and hosted by Dr. Kiona and me, Luis Lopez. Our executive producer is Lori Martinez. Production and sound design by me and Chiara Sandella. Our production coordinator is Catalina H. Vélez. And our social media manager is Sofia Rodríguez. You can follow us on Instagram at How Not to Travel Pod and at Ochenta Podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter at Ochenta Podcasts and on TikTok at Studio Ochenta. Read more about the show and about our other productions on our website, ochentastudio.com. Thanks for listening y buen provecho. <laughs>